And a very good evening to you. Welcome to the Catholic View. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Sheila Pirsch, and it's great to be here with you on this public holiday, June the 16th. Coming up in today's broadcast, being a Thursday, we bring you our feature on women, or rather our woman feature. And today we focus on young women and AIDS. We also take a look at the new UN Women Goodwill Ambassador and Miss Germany meets Pope Francis. But for now, though, do stay tuned as I bring you up to date with some of the stories that have made headlines in Africa and beyond. Listen to Radio Veritas, 576 AM, 4H8. And in your headlines this Thursday evening, praying the Our Father is our cornerstone, says Pope Francis. Forty years since the Soweto student uprising and new potential cancer hazards. Good evening once again. I'm Sheila Birish. We begin with church news. Taking his inspiration from the gospel reading where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray the Our Father, the Pope's homily was a reflection on the value and meaning of prayer in the life of a Christian. Pope Francis noted that Jesus always used the word Father in the most important or challenging moments of his life, saying Our Father knows the things we need before we even ask him. He is a father who listens to us in secret, just like Jesus advised us to pray in secret. The African continent today commemorates the Day of the African Child under the theme Conflict and Crisis in Africa, Protecting All Children's Rights. Through the African Committee of Experts on the Rights and Welfare of the Child, the African Union commissioned a continental study on the impact of armed conflict on children in Africa as part of efforts to elevate the child protection agenda in conflict situations. As a result, the AU has chosen this year's theme as a means to promote the preservation of life and well-being of the African children. Meanwhile, South Africa is marking 40 years since the Soweto student uprising, which marked a pivotal turn in the fight against apartheid. As the nation looks back on the tragic, violent protests, both old and young say their nation is better for it, but still far from perfect. Anita Powell reports. Joy in a place that has seen so much tragedy. This square was the scene of one of South Africa's darkest chapters, the 1976 Soweto Uprising. Some 20,000 high school students marched to protest the apartheid government's insistence on teaching in the Afrikaans language. Police opened fire on the marching children. Estimates vary on how many children were killed. Some go as high as 700. One of the first victims was 13-year-old Hector Peterson. That fateful day, June 16th, is now celebrated as Youth Day. Many of the surviving students are now grandparents, but the memory has never left them. When the shooting started, I was not sure it was a gun. It sounded like a cracker until I saw a boy was next to me bleeding from the hand. Then it's when I realized that actually these people are, are shooting, they are using a live ammunition. 
Students ran into the neighboring houses. Uh, police followed by throwing tear gases around there. Those horrors seem distant for today's children, but they say they are grateful for the sacrifices made by those who came before them. Let, let us thank them for what they did for us, because we have freedom. We can do everything in this, in, in this country. The older generation says the efforts were worthwhile. When she was a student activist, Florence Kanye says she and her friends were repeatedly jailed and beaten. It was worth it because what we fought for, what the other student that died fought for, at least we do have the freedom now that we were fighting for, yes. Young and old agree that South Africa has yet to live up to the ideals those students originally sought. Last year, university students held protests demanding free education. Protesters say the government's failure to support them is effective economic apartheid. The debate continues. The struggle, veterans say, remains the essential role of the youth. They have the rage, the time, the energy to keep up the fight and hopefully make tomorrow's South Africa a better place. Anita Paul, Johannesburg. Attacks by the so-called Lord's Resistance Army Group in the Central African Republic, CAR, have notably increased in recent months. That's according to the head of the UN Regional Office for Central Africa, Abdouali Bathil. The special representative was briefing the UN Security Council on the challenges faced by the whole region in the light of the continuing Boko Haram terror threat and political upheaval. Daniel Dickinson has more. The Lord's Resistance Army, or LRA, is a rebel force which originated in northern Uganda in the late 1980s. It's infamous for its policy of abducting and recruiting children and using rape and sexual slavery as weapons of war. While its leader, Joseph Kony, was indicted for war crimes 11 years ago by the International Criminal Court, he remains at large. The LRA is now focused in Central African states, and Mr. Batili told the council that after lying low, the rebel group was once more on the offensive. LRA has notably increased its alleged attack in the Central African Republic, reportedly extending into area that had previously seen little to no LRA movement. LRA appears now to be deviating from what had been a low-profile posture with attacks against larger and less isolated populations area, being noted an increased number of children kidnapped and kept. Mr. Batili also described the Boko Haram terrorist group, which has caused major displacement and humanitarian suffering across West and Central Africa, as still a serious threat. That's despite some military success through counter-insurgency operations across the Lake Chad region. Despite the successes achieved, Boko Haram continue to pose a serious threat to regional stability. The group persists in targeting civilians, including through suicide attacks, often using young girls as bombers. Special Representative Batili said there were hopeful signs across the region, including the successful electoral process in CAR this year, which he described as an important milestone. But huge challenges remained, he said. 
The Secretary-General of the Economic Community of Central African States, Ahmad Alami, also briefed the Council and told members that peace and security had become a chief concern of his membership, despite the priority being the new Central African Free Trade Area launched last month. His words were spoken by an interpreter. So it is essential for the international community to significantly increase its uh, uh, support uh, in various forms to allow these states to achieve uh, uh, the goal of eradicating Boko Haram. He also called on the UN to continue to provide all the support it could to help create a more secure and prosperous region free from the scourge of terrorism. The task of helping schoolgirls formerly held captive by Boko Haram extremists to recover from their ordeal is being obstructed by stigma and discrimination. Addressing member states on the issue were three UN special rapporteurs who recently returned from northeast Nigeria, where 276 students were kidnapped from a school in the town of Chibok back in 2014. More than 200 are still believed to be missing. Daniel Johnson has more. Nigeria has spared no effort in trying to help those who have either escaped or been liberated from Boko Haram captivity, Denis Puras told the Human Rights Council. Nonetheless, more than two years after the outrage, much more needs to be done by the authorities to tackle discrimination faced by the victims and rebuild public services, the UN Special Rapporteur to the Right to Health said. The extent of these challenges and the numbers of people in need remain overwhelming and well beyond the reach of current responses. Echoing that message was Maud de Berbukicio, special rapporteur on the sale of children, child prostitution and child pornography. She stressed that the young victims had been sexually abused by Boko Haram and now face suspicion from their families that they had sided with the extremists. Amila Bula, special rapporteur on contemporary forms of slavery, condemned what she called the systematic and widespread enslavement of girls by the militants. And she said that it was imperative that the victims are accepted by their communities and given access to justice, especially for those who had been forced into marriage and needed the unions annulled. Daniel Johnson, Geneva. Drinking coffee does not cause cancer. A UN health expert said on Wednesday, but very hot drinks probably do. The announcement comes from the International Agency for Research on Cancer, the cancer agency of the World Health Organization. It follows work by scientists to assess the potential cancer hazards of drinking coffee, mate, a popular infusion in South America, and very hot beverages. Daniel Johnson has more. After reviewing more than 1,000 studies, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, IARC, now believes that coffee does not cause cancer. The evidence showed that coffee drinking had no negative effects on cancers of the pancreas, breast and prostate. Reduced risks were even seen in some cancers. More worrying is the finding that it's not so much what you drink as how hot you like to drink it. That's the potential cause of problems. According to the experts at IARC in Lyon, France, drinking very hot beverages probably causes throat cancer. In 2012, the disease killed an estimated 400,000 people. This conclusion, which IARC insists is based on only limited evidence, follows studies in China, Iran, Turkey and South America, where tea and the leaf infusion mate is drunk at about 70 degrees centigrade. 
Drinking mate at much cooler temperatures was found not to cause cancer after scientific investigation, although IARC says this finding is based on inadequate evidence. Daniel Johnson, Geneva. And finally, on a lighter note, this Thursday, Pope Francis greeted representatives of circus associations, employees of amusement parks and fairs, street performers, artists, designers, musicians, as well as folk groups celebrating their jubilee for circus and traveling show people. Pope Francis told the group, the world of the circus spreads a culture of encounter, and those working in such traveling shows have a unique opportunity to be Christ's witnesses to even the most distant of people. And those were some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond. You're still listening to The Catholic View and I'm Shayla Pirsch. Today being a Thursday, we bring you our feature on women and that's what's coming up next. Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten the man. Some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married. Because I am female, I'm expected to aspire to marriage. I'm expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Feminist, a person who believes in the social, political and economic equality of the sexes. Women on the Forefront, a program dedicated to women who are making a difference. Welcome back to our feature on women. Today we focus on young women and AIDS, new UN Women Goodwill Ambassador, and Miss Germany meets Pope Francis. According to UNAIDS' latest statement, there has been a 60% decline in new HIV infections among children since 2009 in 21 countries in sub-Saharan Africa that have been most affected by the epidemic. The results were published in a new report on the fast track to an AIDS-free generation by 2030, launched on the opening day of the United Nations General Assembly high-level meeting on ending AIDS, which took place in New York from the 8th to the 10th of June. Sister Alison Munro heads the Southern African Catholic Bishops' Conference AIDS Department. According to the latest press release announced on the 8th of June, uh, talking, of course, about the dramatic reduction in new HIV infections among children in 21 countries most affected by HIV in sub-Saharan Africa, it's great news to see that South Africa also made the list as a country that has 90% 
or more of pregnant women living with HIV having access to life-saving antiretroviral medicines. That's very good to know that South Africa made that list. But then at the same time, South Africa is also on the same list whereby between 2009 and 2015, around 4.5 million women became newly infected with HIV, as well as we taking a look at adolescents contracting new infections of HIV and AIDS. Now, do you think the church is doing enough to teach or rather educate our adolescents? Uh, are we doing enough as a Catholic church in sub-Saharan Africa? Is there a different approach that maybe we could look at? Well, certainly, um, let me go back to the first part that you said. I I um, think that we do welcome the news that the prevention of mother-to-child transmissions is um, showing such dramatic improvements because what we are looking at is a, a very small number of babies being infected even while their mothers are infected. So that is something that South Africa really has got right and we certainly are very um, edified to see that that is the case. But as you um, point out from, from the press release from, the, from UNAIDS, the concern is that um, women continue to be infected. In fact, people in general continue to be infected. Um, and the, the, the main um, target group or the main group that um, is most at risk um, is in fact young women from the ages of about 15 to 34. And so what you're looking at here is if you like adolescence um, um, be beginning with sexual activity, um, you, you've got um, people involved in, in relationships sometimes with, with more than one partner, and you've got, very sadly to say, uh, young women who are engaged in sexual relationships with older men. And so we have a lot of older men seeking these favors from, from young girls and HIV is transmitted that way. So it, it could very easily happen that a child not infected, um, even though his or her mother was HIV positive or is, is HIV positive, um, a few years later becoming infected directly uh, herself because of um, engaging in unsafe sexual practices. Now, to answer your question, is the church doing enough? The, I would want to expand that question and say, are we doing enough as a country? Are we doing enough as a society? And the answer is probably sadly no on, on all fronts because Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting with this. We would, you know, possibly have arrested um, the transmission of HIV far more than we've done. It's a very difficult subject to deal with because no matter what um, the Department of Health might say or what the Catholic Church might say, people make their own decisions about their own behavior. And people are also caught up in situations over which they possibly don't have any control. So you've got um, you've got the blessers. We talk about the blessers today. We've got the blessers running after young girls who see the 
sort of enticement of of some something that they haven't got in exchange for something that they can give. Um, you've got people gratifying themselves at the moment but not thinking of the consequences. And then, of course, in, in South Africa, we've got a huge amount of violence against women and children, and I think we must never forget that. That's not something that um, women and children are going out looking for. It's the situations in which they find themselves and out of which they are unable to get without some assistance. So you've got a variety of things, and yes, to answer your question, there's, there's an awful lot more that needs to be done. Now, in order to attain the, the, the set goals that hopefully by 2030, UNAIDS wants to see AIDS gone, completely eradicated from the face of the earth. Now, in order to achieve those goals, what do you think we need to do, like you've mentioned, as a country, as a community, as the church, as a society? What do you think, in your own words, would be the right way to approach this? Like you've mentioned, there's also the situation of the new term, the blessers or the blessees, and there's also the new situation of uh, young women having different partners and so forth. There's, there's quite a lot involved, but what do you think can be done to actually achieve these goals of having a world free of AIDS or rather a South Africa free of AIDS by 2030? What we need to do, it seems to me, is we need to break this cycle. So in other words, if someone is HIV positive, how do we prevent that? Well, we wouldn't prevent it. How does that person prevent the um virus being transmitted to another person. So what do we what do we need to do to stop it? Because there are obviously people who have it and the more people who have it, the more that they are likely to transmit it and the more people will be infected. So we need to break that cycle. Now there are ways in which um the cycle is being broken um in the case of people who are on treatment. Now people who are on treatment for HIV and AIDS who are antiretroviral treatment are not likely or very, um, likely at a very reduced rate, in other words, less likely to transmit HIV to other people. So if I'm on treatment, then I'm not as likely to infect my partner. So because what the treatment does, it blocks that transmission. And so what the South African government is wanting to do, and that will start in September, that's what they've budgeted for, what they want to do is they want to put everybody on treatment when he or she is first diagnosed as HIV positive. So if you or I were to go to the clinic and be tested today and maybe we don't look sick, we still look healthy, but we actually have HIV, the doctors and nurses would put me or you onto antiretroviral treatment because that treatment in itself becomes a block to further transmission. The problem, and that is for me one that the country still has to grapple with, is people need to be adherent to their treatment. So 
if you are, you and I are taking our treatment, that's fine. We're not transmitting the virus. But if we stop taking the treatment, then the virus can again be transmitted. And this is the concern that I think many people would have because people get careless. Um, they don't take the treatment the way they should. And two things happen. One of them is that they transmit the virus then to other people if they're engaged in unsafe sexual behavior. And the second is that they also introduce uh, resistant forms of HIV and AIDS. Um, so it's no longer exactly what it was before and maybe the drug doesn't work anymore. And that becomes a problem. So, but, but treating, treating everybody is a form of blocking it. So if people are adherent, if people take their treatment, even if they are infected, they are not going to transmit the virus. So I think that's one important point. The other is that people who are infected need to take precautions when they know that they're infected not to transmit the virus to other people. Um, so continuing to, to engage in unsafe sexual practices is obviously irresponsible. Um, if you know you're HIV positive, then you need to, to take action and, and, and not transmit the virus. And then equally, people who don't know their status, and that is many people in Africa, need to do what they need to do to remain HIV-free. The Minister of Health is actually encouraging people to be tested. He's saying we need to know our status, because if we know whether we're HIV positive or not, then we can take the correct action. So, for example, if I go for testing and I find that I'm HIV negative, that's wonderful news to, to get. I need to maintain that status by doing the things I've mentioned already. If I find I'm HIV positive, then I need to go on to the treatment, but also take responsibility because none of these things is totally foolproof if we slip up in between. And then a big one is that we need to make sure that children are tested. Now, we talked at the beginning of this um, interview about South Africa having done so well with regard to children. We're talking, obviously, about newborns. But there are children who were never diagnosed at birth because no one took the trouble to diagnose them, no one took them to the clinic or whatever happened in those um, early years, but in fact they do have HIV. And these children need to get onto treatment so that, again, by the time they reach adolescence and adulthood, they don't transmit the virus. So we need to do what we need to do for children. And children have fallen through the cracks very sadly everywhere. All right, sister. Now, coming back to the church, the Catholic Church in uh, South Africa, in Southern Africa to be precise, how often does the church engage with young people, young women, about uh, safe sex, about uh, HIV and the realities of HIV and AIDS? How often is this done? Um, well, I, it's a difficult question to answer because obviously there are many um, places 
all over South Africa, many dioceses, many parishes, etc. But what I can tell you is that through the AIDS programs of the Catholic Church, through the youth programs, um, through programs that engage um, youth, for example, at universities and in the dioceses and parishes, there are these um, things that happen to educate young people. So to give you an example, in the um, AIDS office programs that we are supporting, there, there are many children, many youth, ranging in age from naught to about 25. Um, and sometimes there are 3,000 of them that are being supported in, in one particular place. And there are regular things that are happening around education, around um, counseling and testing, around follow-up if particular children need to be put onto treatment. So it is happening. I would be not telling the truth if I said it would be happening everywhere because that would clearly not be true. I think there are some places where it doesn't happen sufficiently, even from the church's perspective. We know it also happens in schools um, as part of, of life skills and part of interventions that are made by um, Department of Education or um, other people that work in the schools. Well, sister, thank you so much for your time. Any last words before I let you go? Um, what I do want to say, I think, is thank you for, for talking to me, but maybe to, to the listeners and to everybody that this is a fight that we can't let go of just yet. No matter how good some of the results are coming out of the United Nations and, and UNAIDS, we, we can't let our guard down. The battle isn't yet over. According to Advocacy Officer for Africa Young Positives, Anna Songo, young girls in Zimbabwe struggle with issues ranging from early pregnancy to accessing sexual reproductive services. Anna Songo is a young activist who also attended the high-level event in the UN General Assembly on Ending AIDS. Anna Songo is a motivational speaker and life coach. She started her own community-based support group for women affected by HIV. In this brief interview, Ms. Songo begins by explaining why the conference was important to her and the young girls she works with. For me, it's important that whatever we discuss in whatever platform that we have, how is it going to be accepted, adapted and even used within the grassroots level? If it comes to a political declaration, how is that political declaration going to translate into my life as a young adolescent girl who's 18 years old, who faces peer pressure, or who is pregnant, or who doesn't have access to comprehensive sexuality education, or who doesn't have access to education at all? How is that really going to translate? How is that one paragraph in that declaration going to influence on my life? So the most important thing is, how is this going to translate into my life as a normal young person? How did you get involved in working with these young women? As a young person, I've always had the passion to see young women being empowered. So it's just a passion that I've always had. And also looking at my own personal experiences, some of the things that I've gone through as a young person and some of the things that I went through as a teenage girl, it just showed me that sometimes a girl or a young woman just needs someone that is there to encourage them and elevate them because they do have the potential.
What are the specific areas that you feel women are most at risk or young girls or where they need to be empowered? Well, it's issues to do with keeping girls in school. That's very important. And also issues around early and child marriages. And also issues around accessing a comprehensive sexuality education as well as sexual and reproductive health and rights. Those are some of the areas that we really need to empower young women and girls because most of them do not have the information. And when they do have the information, it's more or less like they are not empowered to actually access the services. So I believe that women need to be, to be told how to find their inner self, how to be able to be empowered to access the services that are rightfully theirs. Do you mean that the services might be there, but they just don't have the courage to ask for them? In some cases, services are there, but young women do not access it because sometimes they don't have the courage to do that. They don't have the know-how to do that, the knowledge to say, okay, you are at a point whereby you're choosing to abstain, that's your choice, but at least have the right information to make sure that you attain to that. Can you share a story to sort of shed more light on what kind of challenges you meet every day in your line of work? One woman's story (laughs) is like every girl's story. But uh, what I've seen is that we have young women who have come out of homes and families who have been abused, who have been raped, who have been going through a lot of psychological traumas. But just because of the support and the help that they get from the sisterhood that we have as young people and as peers, counseling and helping each other, and also, you know, directing them, uh, referring them to the right places they should go for information. Some of them have actually turned out so well. Some are, you know, within tertiary institutions, completing their degrees. Some, you know, are working, some started their own businesses, you know, some are young mothers and now they have the know-how on how they can take care of their children, how they can take care of themselves. Some were pregnant and they didn't even know how to access PMTCT and they have healthy babies today just because of the information we have. So for me, I don't feel like there's only just one story, but when it comes to young women and girls, it's all our lives and all our stories. American actress Anne Hathaway has been appointed a global goodwill ambassador by UN Women, the United Nations gender entity. The Academy Award-winning star of the film adaptation of Les Miserables will bring attention to the issue of the unequal burden of care work in the home as one of the key barriers to gender equality. Ms. Hathaway will help advance policies to bring about measurable change, such as affordable child care services and shared parental leave. UN Women said these measures are two ways employers and governments can demonstrate that they understand the value of their people. Just as they hinder women's equal participation in the workforce, rigid gender roles keep men stuck in harmful cultural stasis, according to the agency. Pope Francis met several people following his weekly general audience in St. Peter's Square on Wednesday, including a 26-year-old Lena Broder, Miss Germany 2016, who also happens to be a teacher of religion and home economics in Germany's school system. Broder is also the author of a volume, The Beautiful in Me, with Faith to Success, due on bookshelves in Germany later this month. German Wire Service reports quote Broder as calling the meeting with Pope Francis moving and as saying that she told the Holy Father she would have him in her prayers. (laughs) 
you've been listening to our woman feature right here on Catholic View. Should you wish to participate, feel free to email me, Shayla at radioveritas.co.za. I want to leave my footprints on the sands of time. No, there was something that and something that I left behind. When I leave this world, I'll leave no regrets. Leave something to remember so they won't forget I was here. That brings me up to time. You've been listening to Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Shayla Pirch for Radio Veritas. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back again tomorrow at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao.